Hello, my loves, and welcome back to the Raise Your Vibration podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today. My name is Shelby Rose, and I am an energetic and business guide helping you align, activate, and expand your energy to create the life and business you're wildly obsessed with. I believe that every single one of us has a path that lights us up, makes us excited to get up every single day, and brings massive service and impact to the world. In this podcast, we'll tune into our soul's true desires, take ownership for every single thing in our lives, and shift our vibration to embody the queen we came here to be. You deserve this. You get to have it. Let's go create it. Hello, my loves, and welcome back to another episode. This is a really open, vulnerable, deep conversation that I am excited to share with you. Kate, our guest today, shares her experience with really being the the victim of a narcissistic, abusive relationship. And I think it's important that we have these conversations and that we hear these stories because so often these things happen and we don't talk about them. We don't share them. And I think how Kate shares her experience, how she's overcome it, how she views it is going to be really eye-opening and enlightening to all of you. It was something that really touched me, especially after my experience this past year. And I know that many of you who've had experience with narcissistic relationships or as she calls it, psychopaths, um, are really going to take a lot away from this. Before we dive into this episode, I have a few quick announcements from our sponsor, me. (laughs) And today I'm going to share with you what I currently have going on. You guys, I opened a program called It's In The Vibes. And if you have not already heard about this, this is a eight-week group mentorship program all about understanding the energetics behind your business. I see so many women showing up and men showing up in their business, doing all the work, hustling, and getting crickets, getting flopped launches, watching all the hard work that they put in really amount to nothing. And when we dig in and we actually look at the energy behind their feelings behind their vibration, their frequency behind the belief that it's already done. So many times there's some funky vibes there. And in this program, I'm literally going to walk you through the steps to shift you out of these lower vibrations of fear, scarcity, doubt, and into the embodiment of the CEO that you you really came here to be. And you know this program is for you if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling like you're doing all the work and you're not seeing the results. And or if you're feeling a little disconnected from your message and you know something's out of alignment and that is what's preventing you from calling in soul aligned clients and or if you came here with a mission, with a purpose, you feel it in your soul that you were sent here to this earth to create something, you feel it in your soul that you're meant to be an entrepreneur, you feel it in your soul that you're meant to have a business, but you're really not sure how to align your energy, 
for the opportunities that you desire. So if you're feeling called to this, hop to the show notes right now. You're going to forget if you don't pause the episode and go there. Click in the link in my bio and check out the details on the landing page there. Or you can send me a message on Instagram at xo.shelbyrose. I would love to have a conversation with you. Love to get to know you and answer any questions you might have. Okay, let's dive into this episode with Kate. Well, Kate, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to share you with the Raise Your Vibration podcast audience. We have such similar stories, and I think that there are a lot of people in the audience who have had similar journeys, similar stories. So I'm excited for you to share your story with them. Um, before we dive in, would, would you just tell the podcast audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Thank you for having me. Um, I am a 68-year-old woman, grew up in the Northwest here, and I am semi-retired. Uh, I have an internet business with my daughter, um, but I'm basically retired from the traditional workforce. So that's kind of who I am. I've lived here all my life. Um, and the reason I was anxious to talk with you, Shelby, is I went through something that went on for years with a person who is truly a psychopath and uh, he's a predator and I think it's important for people to understand particularly women because I am a woman uh, of what these types of people look for to people that they they're predators and yeah. there are certain things that they look for uh, you know when they're out trolling for their next victims and uh, so when you and I met and we talked a little bit, I thought, you know, this is an opportunity for me to share my story um, and be transparent. Uh, and so that's why I'm here. Amazing. Well, I know I'm excited to hear your story. We talked a little bit about it um, over the phone. And I just know that there are so many women in this audience who need to hear what you have to say, because we talk a lot about spirituality and personal growth. And so often there are people who are empaths in this audience or highly sensitive people and a lot of women who are maybe naive like I was before I had my own experience of what's really out there and, you know, what we need to look for. So if you don't mind diving in, what, what happened with this predator that you encountered? What, what was the situation that happened. Yeah, it's really interesting because of course you can, we can all go back and, and look at things, you know, in, in hindsight and say to ourselves, oh my gosh, how did I not see that? Or how did I not recognize that? But I think one of the things you just touched on is so relevant to me. Uh, and, and, don't get me wrong, I still trust people, but, but, but what happened to me is that I am empathic, I am sensitive, I like people, mm -hmm. I care about people, and, and while I know that not everyone is the same, I had never had a personal experience with somebody who was so uh, calculating and so clever and so good 
at pretending to be somebody he wasn't even remotely close to. And my experience started with a phone call. Um, my husband and I had been uh, defrauded of money in 2008. And if you remember, of course, you're considerably younger than I am, but we were going into a recession at that point. And we lost a, a pretty good chunk of money to fraud. But we, you know, just decided, okay, this is, this happened, we got to move on. And so you, you got to speed my story up to 2011. I got a phone call and a message on my, at that time, voicemail machine uh, from a person and he is the psychopath, that said he was a recovery specialist and he had knew somebody that had been involved in these transactions in 2008 and he thought he might be able to help my husband and I recover our investment. And when I listened to the message, I thought, who is this person? You know, but I called him and he... I asked him some questions. I remember saying to him, who are you and how did you get my name? Mm -hmm. And he, and he told me and it made sense. And he said he was a recovery specialist and that he thought he might be able to recover some, if not all of our investment that we had lost. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was probably something to the effect that, let me think about it, I'll call you back. And so I talked to my husband and we did decide to meet with him. And so that's, and we met with him over um, in a shopping center at a restaurant. And that was our first encounter with him. But that's kind of how the story started. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course he had his spiel, right? about how we thought he could say, get our money back and, and all this type of thing. So that's initially how I was, how we were introduced to each other. Interesting. So it was kind of a harmless, you know, interaction. Both you and your husband went there, had a conversation with him, his spiel, which wasn't a spiel to you at the time, right? It was a conversation about how you could recover finances. And right. But Right. So what happened after that initial meeting? Was he, you know, what, what was his, what was his motive for this? How did he benefit from having that initial conversation? How did he work his way into your life? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, isn't it? And I will say this, that, and I'll say this because I think it's important when you're looking back at the decisions, uh, some of the decisions I know that I made. Uh, when I first saw him, he was already there. He, I didn't know who he was, of course, but he, there was a guy sitting on this bench waiting to be seated, and he had a, <laughs> he had a pinstripe suit on and dark and kind of like tinted glasses and when I first looked at him and I thought oh this has to be the guy but my I remember this my first thought was you look like somebody from the mafia hmm. so it's just it's just interesting to kind of I kind of had a gut feeling yeah but I chose I chose to ignore it and so I think that that's really important for people to understand that I sh if I had gone with my initial thought and my int my initial just gut feeling, pr 
probably none of this would have ever happened, but that obviously was not the case. So, and my husband was there when we met, he had a whole bunch of stuff on his uh, uh, tablet that he wanted to show us. And it was all stuff I'd already seen from when we had lost this money and the guy was, um, he never went to prison, but he was civilly prosecuted. Um, that I said, so what's, you know, how do you do this and what do you want? And he said, and at the time, I mean, the amount of money that Charlie and I were defrauded was uh, kind of commensurate with what he would get paid. It was on a percentage basis, but he did say he wanted a $20,000 deposit. And that was something that my husband and I had to think long and hard about. We didn't make that decision at that particular meeting, but we did talk about it. I remember talking with him on the phone. Uh, we obviously decided to do that. And what's really interesting is that he had names and numbers of other people who had been in some of these same investments that also had lost money. And, um, you know, so he was, what he was doing was gathering a group of people that he would get a significant deposit from and then make the promise that he could recover our money or a good portion of it. And I believe at the time he said he wanted, he would, uh, we would pay him 15% of whatever he recovered. So that's kind of how the ball got rolling initially. Wow. I just want to comment on that. That's so interesting that that was your initial gut response to this individual. And that I had such a similar gut response to meeting the person who led me down my dark path. And so I just want to validate that for anyone who is highly sensitive human being, empathetic, or has these intuitive gut instincts is that a lot of times we forget that even if it doesn't make sense, we have to trust those, right? Like, um, I think you can attest to this, Kate, is that when you get that gut instinct, there, that it's, now you probably just trust that, right? There's no, no doubting it after you've had an experience like this, where you've questioned it, and it's led to not a good place. And I think there's a lot of people out here who are new to trusting themselves, or, aren't quite certain they're trusting the outside world more than themselves. And what would you say to someone who questions those gut instincts they get? Oh, I would say to uh, everyone, to all your women listeners and, you know, men too, if you have those that your first hit, your first instinct, whether it ends up being the the right thought or 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 it is the right thought but you don't want it to be the right thought or you're not sure it's the right thought you've got to stop and take a look at it and think about it and it is interesting because when all this went down and i and, and we'll talk about this hopefully a little bit later, but I ended up having to hire criminal attorneys and I got two top-notch attorneys in the, the Seattle area where I live. And, and there's so much guilt that goes along with what happens in these situations. I know it certainly did for me and it certainly made me question my own um, 
you know, my own thought process. And, and at the end of the day, of course, that's what somebody like this wants to do. They want you to question your own thoughts uh, because they're so highly manipulative. But to circle back to what you initially asked me, if, if, if you have a hit or a feeling about a situation or a person, you know, you got to pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so powerful that I think in everyone who shared their story, who's had a similar experience with me, we have all had that initial something is off. And whether that's entering yep. a, you know, a relationship with narcissistic abuse, a cult like I did, or like what we're going to talk about today with your situation, it's all been that, a same, that same initial response. And somehow that manipulation there was some bypassing of it or there was you know with that person's manipulative energy there was something that we stopped trusting that and so I think that's really powerful that you were able to share that because there's a lot of people who've had similar experiences so what happened after that initial meeting well, they're high oh sorry <laughs> no, 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 no. The initial we had the initial meeting, and what I wanted to just add though is that I think part of the reason we we don't listen to our own intuition or or you know pay attention to what our guts telling us is that some these types of people are so polished and so professional at being. A, a narcissist, a sociopath, a psychopath, you know, whatever you want to call them, um, they're highly convincing. So we met him the first time. We ended up meeting him a second time. And then it was at that second meeting that my husband and I discussed it and we decided to go ahead and move forward and pay him, pay him the 20 grand. And, and, and then he and I had talked on the phone and some of these other people that had been involved in these transactions, I actually ended up knowing those people because of that uh, uh, communal, if you will, loss in these other particular investments. And he, he asked me if I would be open to um, it being on the phone with some of these people with him because because they knew who I was and see what he was doing at that time here again I didn't see it he was using my relationships with these people and he knew that these people liked me and they trusted me and he you know he he was using me but I was flattered at the time and I had the time I wasn't working full-time then that I agreed to you know to 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 help him because I thought if I help him I mean I, I just thought there would be a better chance of us having success at getting our money back and and this was not just for my husband and myself it was for everybody that had been involved yeah wow wow that he like was so good at what he did <laughs> he knew how to use someone's you know, your empathetic and your caringness was really used as the face of whatever operation he had going on behind the scenes. So what happened yep, and as he, yep. so keep going, like what else, like how did, how did this evolve and, and what, you know, as what was his end game? Well, the end game, I think, always from the very beginning um, was to steal as much money as he could from 
us and from, as it turned out, these other people. And at the end of the day, I had to, I ended up working with the FBI. I worked with the securities division in my state. I was talked to by local police. Um, this was a very, very long process. This started in 2011 and it went to 2014 when he basically pulled the plug and tried to leave me holding the bag for some stuff that he had done. But see, he, he was trolling for a victim or someone to victimize from the very beginning. And I, he just, you know, he probably, <laughs> I don't even know what he did, but he probably really celebrated when he found me because he thought, wow, I can really take advantage of her and I can use her relationships with other people to steal their money too. I had been in banking for 10 years and I had retired from that. And so I knew a lot of people in the community mm. and he knew that. And I'm also one of those kinds of people, you may be that way too, Shelby. I, um, I talk, I'm a talker. Yeah. yeah. I like people. <laughs> I like, I like to know people. I like to find out kind of what makes people tick. Mm -hmm. And he, he purposefully wanted to have a, not only a business relationship, but a friendship with me. And this is the most difficult part of my story. And when I talked with the criminal attorney the first time, she kept looking at me and, and I think she was having a hard time believing my story. And I, I ended up having to tell her that I ended up getting involved with, with this man intimately. And that was all by design too. Yeah. Very, very difficult for me. Um, and a tremendous amount of guilt over that but that's what he wanted because mm -hmm. then he knew he really could you know he could do anything because I was involved with him he wanted me to fall in love with him and he knew that if that happened he could really take us to the cleaners mm. and that's exactly what he did and of course he denied everything at the end he ended up moving. He lived in the Seattle area. He had a wife, four children, one very young child. He was younger than I am, but he lied about his age. He lied about his credibility. And I asked him for, I remember asking him for ID. He showed me his ID. He showed me his license. He told me he was a certain age and he had the documentation because he did, you know, he was younger. He's a good looking guy too, by the way. Um, but he was married and he also used that, you know, like I'm the good, you know, guy, had a beautiful wife, four kids. Um, so he kind of used that too. Wow. So as we became friends and then became intimately involved. And I'd like to share this too, is that I have never had an affair in all the years I've been married. I've been married almost 44 years. 
until I met this man. And I will say this though, and I think this is important too for myself and maybe for some of your listeners. I was not in a good spot in my marriage. Mm. I was unhappy. I was thinking about divorce. And that came out in my conversations with him. So, you know, he knew that too. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think he kind of made up his own, you know, he was figuring stuff out along the way too, based on what I would say and, Mm -hmm. you know, or questions he would ask me, you know, all of that. So he knew that and he would say things like this. I have to laugh now, but it would be like, well, I really like older women. (laughs) And I remember saying to him, well, you're looking through rose colored glasses. And he said, no, I really mean it. He goes, you know, I was married to a woman once and she was a doctor and she was like, you know, I don't know, 15 or 20 years older than than him. I mean, I remember saying to him, well, you got divorced, but, but that's how he would come on to me. He was very, always very, um, complimentary, very flattering, Mm -hmm. gaslighting. Um, And and at one point, Oh, total gaslighting. But I didn't know what that was at the time. Oh, yeah. We never do until we experience it, right? (laughs) Right, right. I'm laughing just because the same thing happened in in my situation where it was that flattery that, you know, that gaslighting when we don't really know what that is until we've experienced it, what it actually does to you. Well, and then we... Yeah. And then we got to go look stuff up. You know, it's like when all this went down with me... And people use the word psychopath. I mean, very casually. Mm-hmm. It's like, I didn't really know what a psych was. You know, yeah. it was after this happened that I started looking stuff up and really doing a lot of research. And I learned a lot. But yes, yeah, so he was very complimentary, blah, 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 blah. And at one point, he said, I am an expert in motorcycles. And it's like, yeah, okay. But he said, I, I know a guy up not that far away from where we both lived that has a vintage motorcycle collection he wants to sell. And he said, would you potentially be interested in going in as a business? And, you know, I was already involved with him. So it was yeah. like, yeah, okay, that sounds really cool. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about motorcycles. But he showed me pictures. <clears throat> he um, told me, he would say, he'd call me on the phone and say, go look up this particular motorcycle and it, it'll tell you how much it's worth. And so I'd sit on my computer at home and do all that stuff. And as it turned out, the motorcycle collection was real. But, but what happened is that my husband and I did go in with him. Supposedly he had put in a certain amount of money, which of course that was a lie, ended up being a lie. My husband and I put in X amount of money. He went up and got the motorcycles, which he did because I saw them. I went over to his house to look at him. But what I didn't know is that my husband and I had gone on vacation. We were in Hawaii for a couple of weeks. And during that period of time, unbeknownst to me, what he did was he took him to an auction 
in Las Vegas and sold them and pocketed the money. Wow. And I had no idea that that had happened. And I didn't even know that he had sold the collection until um, I was working with the FBI at the end of the day. So, wow. yeah, and that was just one of multiple things that I did with him or we did with him financially over a period of, actually over a period of three years. So I didn't know about that. What I did know is that he had told me that some of the motorcycles um, didn't work. They had sand in the gas tanks. And, you know, I don't remember all the details at this point in time, but at the time that made sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was just one of the things that he did to, to steal money. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and I think what's important too is that, you know, for the reasons that I first started working with him was all about these investments that we'd lost money in in 2008. And he had promised to secure new promissory notes from the person who had stolen money from those investments in 2008. And he did do that. But what happened is that within a month after that, the guy declared bankruptcy. And all of that was discharged in his bankruptcy. So <laughs> he, he did what he said he would do. And then it was up to the guy to pay. But he got off the hook too, because it was like, well, I got new promissory notes, but he declared bankruptcy and there's nothing I can do about that. So, yeah, so that had happened. And there's a lot of other stuff that went on during that period of time, way too much information for people. But at the end of the day, that's what happened with that, with those investments. Um, So we basically were still out of luck and we'd all paid him $20,000, which was not refundable. But then in the meantime, you know, I had done this motorcycle thing. There were some other things that we did. And, and, and part of what these people do to Shelby is that there'd be a success in there, you know, so in order for him to keep going and keep yeah. doing what he was doing, you know, you might have a, a smaller investment that you do get paid on. So, you know, you just kind of keep going forward and 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 for me I was so emotionally involved with him Mm. he had already moved to California with his family but and that was all by design too he wanted to get out of the state um but but I was still emotionally attached to him so anyway things kept going along and of course he said he was going to divorce his wife and he was going to move back up here and you know there were all these empty promises and I finally got to the point I said you know what you're never going to move back up here but and I said and you're never going to divorce your wife but we were still supposedly working together he wanted to open up a um, a retail location up here where he could showcase uh, vintage motorcycles and you know all that kind of 
thing that he knew about. And, and I thought that sounded great. And it was something different. And we would have fun doing that. But of course, that never came to fruition either. It was, everything was a lie. Mm. Everything was a lie. Yeah. What was the moment that you realized? And like, I feel like for you, it was almost like there was like this like cloud around you where you couldn't see through and see what was actually real. I I feel like that was how it was for me, at least until (laughs) that wake up moment, you're like, Oh my gosh, this has all been bullshit. When did that happen yeah. for you? <laughs> well said. Well, well said. Well, for me, everything became very escalated in 2014. There was a guy that had been part of the 2008 group that I ended up, he wasn't my friend, but he didn't drive. So I would pick him up to go to meetings and that type of thing. So I knew, knew him that way. Well, he had passed away. And the psychopath said, I have talked with his brother, who's the executor of his estate. He wants to sell the house because supposedly the brother lived down in California. He didn't want to come up here and mess with it. He just wanted to sell it. He'd sell it at a good price. And so this is what the psychopath told me. What the psychopath also knew is that my husband and I had flipped houses and we had made some pretty good money. So see, he already knew that. And I said, wow, that'd be awesome. You know, yeah, we could make all this money and, and I did all the comps and um, I even went over and kind of walked around his house because he'd already passed away. And, and supposedly I had permission to do that, which I found out I didn't. Um, long and short of it, Shelby, is that he asked me to go out and find investment capital to renovate this house and then we would flip it. He said, I have, I think at the time it was like $40,000. And so I had to go out and find money. Well, here again, he knew I had relationships with people. He knew people liked me and trusted me. I went out and um, found money. And I wrote personal promissory notes to these people. Because I didn't have any reason to believe this wasn't a legitimate transaction. And here again, I still trusted him. So my epiphany happened when I'd I'd written these promissory notes. I I had gotten the money from people. I, he said, we're ready to close. I sent the money down to California where he was living to be put in escrow down there for him to close. Well, guess what? I mean, I think, you know what this story is going to be. He took the money. Oh and left me holding the bag. And the way I found out about it was uh, at that time I was working in the city and then commuting to where I live now. I, so I was working over, over there part-time and so I'd stay in a hotel. The manager of the hotel was a friend of mine and he, and he called me on the phone and he said, have you talked to so-and-so? And I said, I tried to call him yesterday and his phone died. So I was going to call him this morning. He goes, well, I've already talked to him. 
And I said, okay. She said, he told me he can never talk to you again. That was my, that was when I woke up. Wow. Yeah. And I just was stunned. And, and of course I was frantic because I thought, oh my God, you know, I sent this money down. She's taken the money and I've got four investors that I'm responsible for, for over a hundred thousand dollars. I didn't have the money to pay them back. But most of all, it was just like everything became clear. That cloud, you know, definitely had lifted. Wow. And it was, it, it, it was shocking. So that was my wake up. But at the end too, and I don't know if, if you relate to this, Shelby, he had me going in so many different directions doing so many things that I felt like I was, I felt like I was a juggler, mm. you know, just trying to juggle everything that was going on. And I know that was also intentional. Yeah. Um, especially after I, especially after I talked with uh, legal authorities, but that's part of how they operate. Mm. So, wow. yeah. So that was my wake up. And then there was the fallout after that. Did you have confrontation with him after that? No, I did not talk to him. So what um, was the fallout? But I did. Well, the fallout was that I had people, these investors that demanded their money back from me. And I didn't have the money. Mm. So I had to make phone calls to the investors and I had a responsibility that I took really seriously and I went and met separately I actually met with them in person because it wasn't something I felt I mean I told them on the phone but then I set up a meeting with each of the you know four different parties and mm -hmm. every one of them had the same response so they sit there and look at you and go yeah but you're going to pay us back right and it was like, I would if I had the money, but I didn't have the money. Mm. So I got sued by one couple. Um, and that was not any fun. But because of what happened, people filed uh, complaints against me to the local authorities and to the security division for the state I live in. And so that was just the beginning. That was the beginning of the fallout. Wow. Wow. And that, that, that happened in two, 2014. And I was fortunate in that the securities division, I had to take a, I took multiple depositions over the, over several years, but, uh, the security division for my state, uh, I met with, I took a deposition with three attorneys and it was like the deposition was almost eight hours. I mean, I had a lunch break for a half hour, but it was a very, very long process. And at the end of the day, the attorney, the head attorney talked with me privately and he said, you know, when I first heard about this, 
I was totally prepared to to dismiss you and look at you as a criminal. But he said, her story never changed. Every time we came back and asked you something, you always gave the same response. And he said, people who lie don't remember what they say. So they have, you know, so their stories mm -hmm. change. And he said, he said, your story never changed. And as bizarre as it was, it was the truth. That's powerful. I well, can't, it, it, I can't imagine. Ahead. I'm just, I'm just sitting here with that. I can't imagine how you process all of that. You know, you mentioned guilt and shame and, and those things previously. And I just, I can't imagine how you have come to where you are today. And I would love to dive into that if you're open to it. I know that's part of your message and part you part of what you want to share from the story. I it blows my mind that you like knowing. I don't think we went this far into detail with the story on the phone call. And I'm sitting here and I'm just in awe for where where you are today. I think a lot of people would crumble well, think, under that. I just it's it's powerful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you feel like you're walking through a landmine because you don't really know, you know that the landmines are out there, but you don't know if or when you're going to step on one. And I've lived a pretty clean life. I you know, had never had been in trouble with the law or anything. And I'm just like, you know, you're mom, wife, normal person working, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. But what I had to do to save myself was first thing I had to do was I called my attorney. I had an attorney that I had used for some real estate stuff and I didn't have another attorney. So I called him and he goes, Oh my God, you need a criminal attorney. So he referred me to the uh, two attorneys that I went and met with. And I was scared. I was mm -hmm. so scared because I thought I am going to go to prison. That's all I could think of is I'm going to go to prison. I was petrified. And um, so I went and met with the attorneys, did everything they told me to do. And I, I know I, I mentioned this earlier, the, the one attorney was a female, really, really mm -hmm. like her. She's a wonderful attorney, great reputation. You know, I finally had to say to her, there's something you need to know. And it was about the affair. And my husband already knew about it. I had talked to him about it. And he had suspected it anyway. But when I said that to her, she looked at me and she said, now your story makes sense to me because she said, you're a smart person. And, but she said, I totally understand. He's a psychopath. He manipulated you. He wanted you to fall in love with him. It was all by design. And that's and she said, I said, I feel so much guilt over what has happened. And she said, but that's all by design too. But she said, what you need to understand is that this is all done only with what he wants in mind. He doesn't care about you. And I said, oh, I'm well aware of that. 
And then that's when I had already started to do some research about psychopathic behavior and that type of thing. But they just kept trying to encourage me and say, this is how these guys are. They're masters at it. Um, this happens a lot more than you would ever know. And, and I don't think it was at that moment. But what I had decided was, I am not going to let him take me down. I'm not going to allow that. Mm. And so that's when... Um, and of course the, the securities division had already gotten involved and that's when I had to go down and take a deposition and I ended up meeting with this uh, attorney who was the head um, the head of this particular investigation I you know I met with him probably 50 times over the next three years and I also had to meet with at, at, at what and then what happened to back up a little bit um, he was being investigated too. And his attorney was as big a scumbag as he is. Mm -hmm. And I had to take two different depositions with him. Then I had depositions with other attorneys. And then I had, because of all this, Shelby, the other thing that happened is that my husband and I had to declare bankruptcy. And the reason we had to do that is because I was being sued and we did have assets and uh we i didn't want to do it but we were basically forced to do it or we would have lost our home wow so we did have to go that was very traumatic too i can only imagine so, yeah you know especially when you're somebody who's lived a pretty tame life and yeah all of a sudden you're you know you're sucked into all this stuff that you had no idea and of course he didn't care you know, he'd already gotten so much money from my husband and I. He worked really hard to destroy relationships that I had with people. I've had to do a lot of mending over the years with people that I care about, including two of my, my two brothers. Um, so, you know, there's the fallout and then you got to figure out how are you going to get through it. And the only thing I can tell you is that you just get through it like one minute at a time when you're going through something like that, because that's all you can. Otherwise, you just, you just totally, you'd go down the rabbit hole and never come out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, and, and to kind of conclude or, or like today, um, what's going on today is that I made a decision at the time to try to put him in prison. And I asked for help from the securities attorney I worked with who believed my story. And because I knew if I went to the FBI, they wouldn't do anything. So he reached out to the FBI and that's when the FBI got involved. And at the end of the day, that investigation went on for over a year. I had to take two, three depositions with the FBI. But he was found guilty of fraud and he is in prison. Wow. Now. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure he never thought that I would do, I'm sure he never thought I would do that. Mm -hmm. But I thought, you know, no, you're not going to ruin, you're not going to totally ruin my life. Yeah. And get away with it. 
It was like an act of taking your power back. It is. It's about your own personal power. And I thought, you're messing with the wrong person. And it, I was angry, of course, still dealing with a lot of guilt. I've gotten help dealing with my own guilt. Um, Self-forgiveness is a big thing. You know, you, you mentioned personal development, personal growth at the beginning. I've taken more personal development and growth classes over the last 25 years than you can even imagine. Mm. And I had to rely on a lot of that and faith to get me through what I've gone through. And this didn't just impact me. It impacted my daughter. I have an adult daughter now. Uh, she was 25 at the time. And of course, affected my husband. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but it also is an experience. And, and maybe you choose to look at your experience the same way. Yeah. I am not the same person. I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm a stronger person than I used to be. I'm a more aware person than I used to be. And, and I mean, I'm not as trusting as I used to be. I ask more questions. Yeah. Um, Discernment. Still, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not a bad not to trust right away. You know, it's like, it's not like you're not trusting. It's like you have the discernment. I feel like is almost what it right. is. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's a good way to, that's a good way to put it. Um, so I'm not so quick to jump in or agree, mm-hmm. or I just like to kind of sit back and listen and look and, and, but th- the main reason I wanted to share my story with you is that I think that this type of thing does happen way more often than any of us would like to think. And I think that women, if you, if you're vulnerable, like, I was vulnerable. I was looking. I didn't ask for it, but when he started to pay attention to me and, you know, talk to me and about how much he cared about me, you know, I was really flattered mm-hmm. and kind of like um, I bought into it. Mm-hmm. And and but my story would not be any different than anybody else's story that has lost some money due to, you know, fraud or some creep that sucks them into a bad investment. I think what makes my story maybe a little bit different is the fact that I got emotionally involved with him and um, he is truly a psychopath and he used that relationship and fostered that relationship to get what he wanted, which was just all about the money. Mm-hmm. And I think that so many people would put their tails between their legs and just walk away and not want anyone to know because they're so ashamed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, you touched on something in your personal journey on self-forgiveness. And that's something that I keep coming back to. That's been the hardest. I think that's probably the hardest part for anyone who's been through this type of experience to let yourself have that compassion and that grace, how, what has been helpful for you in finding that compassion for yourself again? How have you been able to move to a place where you maybe see this a little bit differently or you're not so hard on yourself? Um, time for one thing, uh, time is a healer. 
talking to professionals. Uh, my attorneys have helped because they both the criminal attorney and the uh, securities attorney both validated that to me that this was not my fault. Mm -hmm. And I know those words are so easy to say, well, this wasn't your fault. Well, you still feel like it's your fault because yeah. I, I kept feeling like I'm smart. I should have recognized this. Why didn't I recognize this? But I didn't recognize it because he got me caught up in this. Oh, I don't even know what you would call it. I was kind of in my own little world mm -hmm. and I was emotionally attached to him, which he continued to foster that relationship, that part of it, <clears throat> even though he was living in a different place. So time, talking to other professionals, um, talking to my good friends. I have two female friends and one of them is a psychologist. She doesn't work in that profession any longer, but that's what she used to work in. Mm -hmm. And another girlfriend that knew him. And you, you know what, especially with women, we, we counsel each other, right? Mm -hmm. We like to talk to each other. Absolutely. And so that helped us, you know, you just keep processing, you know, yeah. the information, process, 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 process. And quite frankly, the other part of it is my faith. And um, I, I, I was never a person that went to church as a kid, did anything like that. I, you know, my grandma tried to get me to read the Bible. It's like, I don't understand it. I don't want to, <laughs> but I've always been. <laughs> I, I, I laugh because I was the same way. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times someone handed me a Bible. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, so, so it, it, but in everything that has happened, I've, I, I started getting involved in spirituality when I was mm -hmm. in my thirties and I'm 68 now. So I've gone to lots and lots of seminars. I've read lots of magazines, lots of books, you know, podcasts, you name it. And I love that. It's, it feeds my soul. Mm -hmm. And so that has been an important part, but, um, you know, I think that, if you believe in a higher power, whether you call it God or Buddha or, you know, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. I've always believed there's something bigger out there. It's not just, it's not just me. Yeah. And, but you talk about God's grace and how, you know, it's like, okay, I messed up. I made a mistake. I'm human. Mm -hmm. People make mistakes. This happened to be a big one. But I, but at, but at the end of the day, I still knew who I was. I've, I'm a good person. Mm. I don't lie. You know, I, yeah. I love people. I take care of people. I'm a giver. Um, I'm an empath. Mm. And I think a lot of people who get sucked into this stuff, that's how we are. Yeah. And um, so I've always known that I'm a good person. It's like your little voice is going, yeah, you did a really, really bad thing, but I'm still a really good, really good person. But I've mm -hmm. learned so much. And this is why I wanted to do this podcast with you, because I think that I think that there's women that need to hear this story and know they're okay. Yeah. You know, we're good people. I think that that's probably the yes. most powerful thing that you just said is that at the end of the day, you know who you are and it's not about, you know, 
I, I think about there are people who my decisions impacted during that time frame, and they might not think I'm a good person anymore, yep. right? But at the end of the day, I know who I am and I know what's true about me. And I think that's really powerful for right. anyone who has made these decisions or you've done something that's impacted someone else and you like have that wake up call and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize what I was doing, right? that we remember that that's it, not who it, you are. A decision isn't who you are. It's, it's just not. It, no, it's not. And I, I think the other piece of this, uh, Shelby, that's been so important for me is that, and this is actually really important because it's one of the big things that's gotten me through this over the number of years. And um, it's like, God put this in front of me for a reason and there has to be something good and positive that comes out of this terrible situation that I went through and and that has been a huge part of what has kept me going it's like how am I supposed to use this information to make a difference in the world if if I can impact somebody else and they relate to my story and or by listening to this, they avert or get out of a situation that they're going, oh, my God, you know, this I relate to this or I'm, I'm in a relationship that's like this or somebody's doing this to me right now. And I thought that's what, you know, I wasn't sure what was going on. And so if I if I if I can help one person listening to your podcast, then that it, it makes it all worthwhile to me. Well, I know you have. I, I, I know for me, that last part that you said that really resonated with me. I have like, you know, full body chills as you were saying, you know, some of those things about self-forgiveness and self-compassion. I know that's where I am at right now is remembering who I am, remembering that one bad decision doesn't make me a bad person. I think that was really powerful for a lot of people listening because we can all relate to having made a bad decision or a a decision that went away we didn't anticipate it to and having to forgive ourselves right. for that yeah um are yep. there any last yep. things that you would want the listeners to know is there any last things that are coming through for you to share with the audience before we wrap it up today um you know i think we've covered a lot of information in this in this uh time that we've had together i think maybe the biggest thing is the thing I said at the very beginning of the podcast is that if you're in a situation or in a conversation, in a relationship, anything that doesn't feel right, you know, you, you need to step back and, and kind of take yourself out of it and really take a look at what's going on. Because I know that if I had gone with my gut feeling at the very beginning, I would have asked more questions and I don't, I don't believe, I don't know for sure I don't believe that any of this would have happened. And I think the other big part of it is that we are human and we do make mistakes. And I never, going through this whole experience that I went through, I never did anything with the intent of hurting anybody else. I never did anything with the intent of stealing money from anybody else. Um, this was all stuff that he designed 
uh, with the intention of just stealing mm -hmm. money. And so, you know, yeah, we all make mistakes. And this was a very unfortunate one in my life. So what I've tried to do is turn it around at this point, because at this point I'm through going through all the legal stuff that my husband and I've gone through our bankruptcies, you know, been discharged and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're trying to move forward with our lives now. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it's just about self-forgiveness and, and just continuing to affirm to yourself who you are and just, you know, put that out in the world. Yeah. You know, Amazing. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast, you know, kind of mm -hmm. putting yourself out in the world. You're putting yourself out in the world by even doing these podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, look at the people you're helping by, by doing what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it gets, so, it gets, what yeah. gets me out of bed every day. <laughs> Are these people well, truly? Yeah. <laughs> well, I and I think that's a great thing, and and, and I'm working on a book. You know, mm. I'm writing a book about this, and and I hope that it may or may not be published. I mean, I could self-publish, but I also think it's a story that could reach a lot of people, Absolutely. and and impact a lot of people in a positive way. So that's you know. And I may write the book and just never do anything with it, but it's also, it's also been therapeutic and cathartic for me. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story so openly and vulnerably. Um, we will be sure. I know if that book comes out, all of the listeners are going to want to have their hands in it. I would love to have my hands on it. So <laughs> if it does come out in the future, let us know. I'll be sure to share it with the audience. And thank you again for being here. Um, we really appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you and thank you for asking me to be on Shelby. <laughs> <laughs>